You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Everywhere you go, you meet new people. How many know that people are amazing? They, uh, well, everywhere I went this week, I get to meet new people. And to meet new people is an amazing thing because we are wired for relationships. We are wired for connection. We are wired to engage with people. Uh, and uh, we are starting this week a brand new series called Touchpoint, which is all about relationships. It's all about uh, building meaningful relationships because we are relational beings created out of a relational God. And until we get this part right, I wonder, I wonder how many of the world's problems are actually a relational breakdown. It's not a financial breakdown. It's not a, uh, it's not a resource breakdown. If we could get relationships right, I think a lot of those things would take care of themselves. Amen. Father, we give this next 35 minutes to you and we pray that you would have your way. God, we pray that you would speak to every one of us, that we would walk out of here inspired and empowered to build the types of relationships that you want us to have. God, would you speak to every one of us? Holy Spirit, would you highlight areas that we could grow into? Would you highlight areas that we can be a better friend? Would you highlight, better, uh, would you highlight areas where we need some relational input in our life? So Father, today we give it to you and we pray that you would have your way in Jesus' name. And everyone said, can we give these guys a huge, huge hand? So good. I wonder what your idea of paradise is. Like we're three months into winter. I don't think I've ever been in a winter with so much rain ever. Like it seems like every once a week I drive out and my driveway has turned into a swimming pool. It is, there, there is wet. Every, how many people love winter? Hand up if you love winter. Oh, look, all 10 of you. Awesome. How many people love summer? They're real Christians. It's awesome. Uh, I want. I wonder what your idea of paradise is. Like right about now during winter, I'm ready to go somewhere where there is white sand, blue water, somewhere between 26 and 30 degrees would be nice every day. It can drop below 20 at night, that's cool. But during the day, we need some 26 to 30. Uh, I was in Dunedin, there was a guy walking around with shorts and a t-shirt. I'm like, what is wrong with you? He's like, no, I'm just acclimatized. No, that's not acclimatized, that's sick. You're like, you need help. You need to go to a doctor because that's not right. Like, what is your idea of paradise? Because I reckon when God created the world, he created his perfect environment. How many know God doesn't make any mistakes? God doesn't create something and go, oh, bummer, I wish I'll do it better. I'll do it better next time. Come on, remember that when you look in the mirror. Hello, God doesn't make any mistakes. What he has made, he crafted, and he is journeying with you. So don't tell him he's got bad deals when you look in a different message. So God, God, God created this environment in the beginning for the human race to flourish. And we stuffed it up. Genesis chapter 1 is the story of creation. And God created it. And after every stage of creation, he said this. He said, it is Good. He created, he separated the earth and the land, and he the earth and the land, the earth and the sea, and he said, it is good. He created fish and all sorts of swimming animals and said, it is good. He created sun and the moon and the stars and said, it is good. He created 
land-bearing creatures that would walk and birds of the air and said, it is good. He created man on the sixth day and said, it is good. And on the six, at the end of the sixth day, he said, it is very good. And then he rested on the seventh. Why did he rest on the seventh? Not because he was tired. He's God. He rested because he was done. Like you rest when you're done. So he was done and rested on the seventh day. And I want to read to you Genesis chapter 2. It says this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain and there was no one to work the ground. Just, just a heads up, work is not a result of the sin. Work was part of the original plan. We are created to have responsibility, so don't curse your job. Anyway, different message again. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Do you know that being alive doesn't make you a living being? Having the breath of God makes you a living being. We are created to carry the breath of God. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life for the tr and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here we have this environment where God creates an arena where all of our food needs are taken care of, where all of our purpose needs are taken care of, tend the garden. He creates this environment where the Bible says he came down and walked with man in the cool of the day. So we had an environment where we could flourish with God. Sounds like a great environment. That's why he said it is very good. But there's a twist in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, there's two words in this passage that jump out to me. The first one is good. God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be wandering the garden by himself and doing life solo. It is not good for Adam to be isolated in his own. It is not good. But why did God wait till after creation to decide it is not good? Like, did he just forget? Did he have a bad day? Did he forget he was God and forget to create Eve and kind of had a redo and went back. It's not like flat-packed furniture. How many love Ikea? Hand up if you love Ikea. Not one person loves Ikea. Come on, you're my type of people. Tracy, I'm, yeah, because Steve puts it together. That's why you love it. So here's the deal. Ikea is of the devil. You walk into Ikea and all I want is a tea towel, which is at the end near the checkout. But I have to walk through every single section. To get to the tea towels, I have to walk through bedroom, I have to walk through lounge room, I have to walk through kitchen, I have to walk through dining room. Then if I'm with a certain individual, oh, look at the TV cabinet. It'll look amazing in the corner near the blue wall and the white wall. We should get it. So sucker buys a TV cabinet, but it doesn't come like a TV cabinet. It comes in a box, flat pack that I got to put together. My first encounter with Ikea was a Bible college student. I bought a bookshelf and I get the bookshelf home and I'm not the handiest guy in the world. Like, I love it when Pastor Paul gets up here and goes, I'm super practical with my, I'm like, good on you. 
because I'm great. I'm great with my hands as well. I can find a number to call a guy who can come and fix anything that is broken. That's my skills. That's my spiritual gifting. I can do that. So he, I buy this bookshelf and I open it up and there's like 127 pieces for three shelves. There's like shelves and strapping and bracing and little dowels that go in out of one, like all this stuff. I finish it. I'm proud as until I stand back and look and there's two dowels on the floor. Now, this isn't like Lego where you get spare bits. Like if you're missing two dowels, there's two dowels missing somewhere. So I did like a test and I'm trying each one of the shelves and two of them, sure enough, I missed the dowel in the back and it kind of rocked. You think there was a hope in heck I was pulling that whole thing apart to put the dowels back in? I'd lived four years, my whole Bible college experience with two shaky shelves because I wasn't putting the dowels back in. I was done. God didn't have one of those days where he stepped back from creation. He went, oh, Eve, dang it. I got so busy creating all the other stuff that I forgot Eve. I reckon God deliberately planned to miss that piece out For a period of time so that we would understand it is not good for humanity to live alone. The first problem in the Bible was not a sin problem. It was an isolation and loneliness problem. That we were never designed for isolation. We were designed for relationship. We are designed out of the image of God who is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He constantly lives in relationship, was in relationship, is in relationship and will forever be in relationship. The second word that jumps out to me is the word helper. You know that God could have used any one of a myriad of terms in there. It is not good for man to be alone. I will design a for him. Could he use the word acquaintance, equal, co-laborer, peer? But he didn't want to use a word that signified just coexistence. He uses a word that implies intentional partnership. I will design a helper. He didn't use the word slave or servant either. He used the word helper, which is a picture of someone who is a co-equal, co-laboring in the things of God. And then after God had seen the problem, he went into an intervention and he created Eve. And Adam and Eve became the first married couple. Through Adam and Eve, we're all here. They became the first married couple. And If you're married, then marriage is the most important relationship in your world. Not your mom, not your dad, not your friends. Your marriage is the most important relationship in the world. But I believe this scripture goes well beyond marriage because it's about friendship. The truth is you can't have a marriage without friendship. It's not a marriage without friendship. It's about having the right people in our world. And with technology rapidly advancing, We can't substitute meaningful, intimate relationships with a friend request or with a like or with a Facebook message. Have you connected with your friends lately? Yeah, I messaged them. The New Zealand text culture drives me nuts. Hey, have you talked to this person? Yeah, I talked to them. Cool. When did I send them a text last week? You didn't talk to them? Different message again. So we are wired to be in relationship, in proximity with other people. So today I'm going to invite three of my friends up and we're going to have a chat about friendships. We're going to talk about friendships. I'm going to invite Jeremy, Crystal, and... Sorry, I just married... No, Crystal's upstairs. Jeremy, Ben, and Chelsea to come on up and join me. Just I'm going to give you a bit of background as on the way up. Jeremy and Crystal are our kids' pastors here at Life. So Jeremy 
basically works full-time here at Life and then at his paid job, has a full-time job as an international shipping agent with a company. Um, Chelsea and her husband, Josh, are the youth pastors here at North. They oversee all of our Fuse and Epic programs, doing an amazing job. Um, and that Chelsea does that two days a week. The other three days a week, Chelsea is an accountant and works in our accounts department. Ben Mays, who is an incredible guy, is the principal of our Life Leadership College and been a part of Life now for seven years. So these guys are incredible, incredible. Can you give them a hand? Welcome them up here. Guys, let's start, um, let's start with an with, uh, easy question that kind of gets people knowing you a bit. In terms of your friendship journey, what's your most favorable memory of an engagement with a friend? Starting with Jeremy. Um, we were living in London uh, about eight odd years ago, and my dad had been really sick with cancer for a couple of years, and we got the call to say that, look, he's not doing that great, you probably need to come home. So Ezekiel was about 18 months old, uh, Crystal had just started a new job, so it was never, that kind of stuff's never ideal timing, but um, so we made the journey home, and of course, anyone who's been through something similar, where you're trying to book last minute airline tickets, it's not cheap. So we had the whole journey of, you know, experiencing the loss of dad, and good news is he's a Christian, so we know where he's gone, but... You know, you come back and, and the fact that he's gone to heaven doesn't fix the credit card bill. Um, but what had happened, our really good friends, Mark and Nat Braithwaite in London, had basically, they, they journeyed with us on the whole thing with Dad and that sort of thing, and they just rallied around. Now, all the airline tickets cost in excess of about £2,000, um, and they just got together with a bunch of other friends and just threw out people in the church and that sort of thing, and just rallied around and said, look, let's help them as much as we can in a, a need that's going to be met immediately. And they, they raised about 1500 quid which they gave to us when we came back, which didn't replace dad, but it took that, that material position, the material problem of this massive credit card bill and it eased it significantly, which means yeah, awesome. that we could actually focus on just being a family and getting through that tough time. Awesome. So. Awesome. Chelsea? Um, one of my best friends who I've known for most of my life, she's one of the most generous people that I know. And I think um, throughout our, our friendship journey, something I'd love that she's always done for me is just um, being so generous with her time, but also with like, you know, sending me flowers for no reason or um, buying me something or, you know, going away and then thinking of me and buying something for me. And it's that whole thing of that a friendship isn't just about yourself, but it's actually about thinking about the other person. And, you know, before I met my husband, Josh, you know, I didn't get flowers from anyone so she used to send me flowers just like hey you're my friend like I want to bless you um yeah and I heard now the flowers you get from Josh she actually sends and signs them from Josh oh confessions wow yeah Josh is confirming that at the back that's great <laughs> Benjamin uh yeah for a couple of years ago for my 30th um my brother my brother's like like he's one of the most considerate people I've ever met I always tell people he's a nice one because it takes the pressure off me uh, but, but he and some of our, my, uh, my friends got together secretly behind my back and basically pulled together a whole bunch of monies to send me over to Hawaii for a holiday, um, which I haven't actually been on it yet, but the money's there. Um, I kind of like, too, by the way, that um, financial, financial accountant doesn't say financial. So uh, that's interesting. I don't know what that means. You know what I love about that? There's a common thread. Friends just show up. Like, friends are there. When Amanda, I've t t told this story many a time. When Amanda gave birth to our first child, she was 10 weeks early, and it was touch and go on many a front, uh, like Amanda's health and the baby's health. And we had this one set of friends. We were in hospital for, I think, eight and a half weeks or something like that. And um, Amanda was there, couldn't drive because she was really sick, so would spend probably 17 hours a day at the hospital. We had this one set of friends who 
they had full-time jobs. He was an officer in the Navy and she was a loan officer, worked in a corporate bank. And every night, didn't miss one night in eight and a half weeks on coming to the hospital, bringing us dinner and sitting with us for three to four hours while we sat there. We didn't talk. Like, what do you talk about after you're done night one? How was your day? Same as yesterday. Uh, just sat there for three or four hours, did not miss one night. Friends just show up like they're just, they're there. Um, so guys, I'm going to throw a question which uh, I just thought about in praise and worship, so there's no heads up. So you're getting the unfiltered response of this. In a wo- So we've got a parent over here. We've got a young lady who is embarking on blending the world of marriage and friends and that whole gig. And Ben, who has a big life, close family, lives away. Uh, Ben's family's in Australia. Uh, he's got great friends. I've watched Ben. I have a lot to do with Ben. He's got great friendships. He is a great friend and has great friends. In the world of friendships, when it comes to social media, I'm going to throw a bomb. Is social media a blessing or a curse when it comes to friendships and relationships in the 21st century? Because I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I can't see anything where it tells me what Instagram does to my friendship world. I can see where I can see where it tells me what jealousy or unforgiveness, but not Instagram or Facebook or social media. So in your experience, both as ministers of the gospel, which all three of you are, and as individuals who are negotiating this thing called life, which we all are, we're navigating this thing called life, social media, blessing or a curse when it comes to friendships? Who's gone first? Okay. Uh, it is an addition. It is never a substitute. Um, social media is all based upon the idea of presenting the best facets of your life to look awesome. Friendship is about going well beyond that into the reality of what things actually look like. Um, I was just thinking, I was thinking about social media this week. If I didn't have friends and family overseas, I would cut it. It's the same as if like, you're ever in a church service and people have always got their phones up and recording everything. You're not interacting with God, trying to show a reflection of it, but not actually is missing the point. So, yeah, addition, not a substitute. Cool. I think in my generation, it is just such a big part of what we do. And growing up, it has been a part of my life that everyone's on social media. This is how you communicate. Um, And I think that sometimes it does become a priority over actually spending time with someone face-to-face. And so, yes, like Ben's saying, it does have its... um, wins, you know, like if you've got friends overseas and and family, you don't get to see all the time, it's a great way to communicate. But I think what I've learned is that if I'm talking to someone over social media more than I'm actually spending with them in person, uh, there's an issue there. Unless they live overseas, that's obviously different. But, you know, someone who I'm doing life with, but all I do is comment on their photo or send them a message, is that really friendship? I don't think so. I don't think you can build intentional relationships just over social media. So it is so important that we're still actually meeting up with people, communicating face-to-face. That's the way God designed it, I believe. I, uh, I watched uh, some friends of mine uh, were on a date and they posted on Insta Story every course of their meal. And I sat there and I thought, man, if you were cumulatively worked out how much time you were on a date and then how much time you spent Insta-storing. I wonder what percentage of that night was that. But the funny part was, in one of the stories, they were Insta-ing something, and I saw this couple in the background, both heads down, on their phone. Anyway, just an observation. Here's my thought. Social media is a great servant, a horrible master. And if I let it 
And if I'm apathetic with it, it will quickly become a master, not a servant. It doesn't ask permission. It just goes there if I give it. Anyway, Jeremy, from a parent of, how old are your boys? Ten and five. Okay. So fast growing up in a world where this is, talk to me, social media. What do you um, From a parenting perspective, when you are overseas and you've got grandkids in both New Zealand and the USA and you're living in London, it's, a, it's an amazing tool because it does allow connectivity. You know, distance is an issue. But as a parent who has got a 10-year-old who apparently every single child in his class has a phone... It's, and, and except all, yours. Except, except poor Ezekiel. Um, I've got one of those, man. Yeah. So it, it, I think it is. It's just instilling that culture that it is, this is just a part of... So this is a part of the world we live in now. You know, businesses are talking about it all the time and that sort of thing. It's a form of marketing. But I just totally agree. It's... It can be a real curse because it gets, it takes away the human interaction. You know, it, there's no book of Zuckerberg in the Old Testament. You know, it's it's. it's Brilliant. Brilliant. Zuckerberg chapter six. Thou, thou shall take those likes and take them somewhere else. Um, you know, it, it, I want our kids, and that's what we try and teach up there. Up there is our kids' ministry, by oh, the yeah. way. Not in heaven, just up the up the stairs. Um, you know. Human interaction, that's why we have connect groups and we don't have Instagram parties. You know, that's why we have connect groups. So the kids actually know how to make friends by going up and talking to each other. Um, they don't need, you don't need social media to have interaction. Come on. Yeah. Hey, I read this um, article. If, if I'd have been more planned and not thought about this on the front row during worship, I would have got the article out. But I read an article on the plane last week where uh, every time you have a, a face-to-face human action, human action, human interaction with a friend it lets off a chemical in your brain that is a pleasurable chemical. So you literally, it's, uh, it's like dopamine, where literally you, it's the, it hits the pleasure center of your brain when you have a meaningful conversation. You know, they did studies. Every time a photo is liked or a post is commented on, to a much lesser degree, that same chemical is released in your brain. So we've got kids who are looking to social media to get a chemical fix that God wired for us only to get through human interaction. It can actually become a chemical addiction. Now, is social media wrong? No. It's a great servant, a horrible master. If I'm looking for it to get my hit, then all of a sudden it, it shapes my identity, my worth, my value, all of that sort of stuff. So... This isn't a beat-up social media. I love that. We have connect groups, not Instagram parties. I love it. That's awesome. All right. So in terms of your world, guys, when it comes to building friendships, uh, we're, we're pretty... The Bible has a lot to say about the fact that we need to intentionally build friendships. It's not, it's not just because someone's in church or we're in the same school or we work together that it means they're going to be a great friend. So when we're building friendships, what, what type of people do we need in our life? Like from personal level and from working with students and youth and kids and families and your own journey, what, what type of people do we need in our life? Ben, why don't you lead off on that? Uh, I know for me, um, it's funny, I was thinking before, like when, you, when I was in high school, you know, your friends were the people who you're around all the time and you get older and all of a sudden you have to be way more intentional about it. It's not just who you happen to find yourself around. For me, um, like I've got friends who are non-Christians, but my key priority for the people who I know I need to be intent- really intentional about uh, the people who are going to challenge me um, to be, A, a more loving person, 
and be a more positive person. That's what I look for. Anyone who's going to make me a better person, who's going to challenge me to live bigger, when I'm in a sulk, when I've got a bad mood, when I've got a bad attitude, when I think the world is ending, who can calmly but give me the, you're being a jerk, that's what I need. Brilliant. Can I be that? Yep. Awesome. Thank you. It's all you. Permission. Awesome. You can thank too, you. guys. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> Ben's going to be at Central next week, as yeah. of next week. So. I'll be running out the door today. Jules. Yeah, I think for me, what I've learned, especially in recent years, um, is just having people who are actually there to support you, um, not just in wo- like in words by you know text or something, but actually will be there for you in the moments that you need them. And in the last couple of years, I've had some challenges with my family, and it's just amazed me how my group of close friends has really come around me and not only prayed for me and you know called me and texted me, but actually when I've needed it, they've turned up at my house, they've taken me. You know, like they've intentionally spent time with me, and that's really taught me a lot about what friendship's about. Like I said before, it's not just about me, 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 but it's actually about how can I help and serve this other person because they're my friend and because I want to show them love. And so that's so important for me. Friendships kind of they give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Yeah. Right. Like I may not want to have that conversation, but I need to have that conversation. I may not want to be at sisters. As a plug, but I need, you know what I mean? Like I may not want to go to church, but they make a way to get, yeah, so awesome. Jeremy? Yeah, one of my best mates, Darian, he, um, he's just brutally honest and it is that kind of thing where he's, he's, he's more than happy to walk up and tell me exactly what he thinks. So you have a best mate and a wife like that, that's what we're saying here? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, and it, it, but I know that we I know his journey because he's been really open and honest with me, so it's, it's not just all this but he allows this as well. Um, and I think that's really healthy. For, for if, I'm, if I suggest that I'm going through this, Baba, and he'll just go, nah, you're being an idiot. That's completely wrong. And just that element that there's, there's enough respect amongst or between us that he can be as honest as perhaps the Holy Spirit's telling him to be yep. um, to allow something that maybe I wouldn't hear necessarily from Crystal or from anyone else. But I know Dell is always going to be that way. And it's just he's kind of that sounding board that I can go to him with stuff and he's just like, nah, you bang on the money with that, or no, you're just being an idiot. So, you know, there's an amazing correlation between what Chelsea said and what you just said, in terms of friends are just there, they support, they, which actually builds the foundation to have those conversations. Like, I wonder how often we need to have a conversation with a friend, but because we haven't invested in the friendship enough, there's not enough relational equity in the bank to be able to make a withdrawal of you being an idiot. You know what I mean? Like friendships, I was taught, uh, Steve Kelly, who I worked with for 10 years, talked about relationships like a bank account. Uh, this would be good for you, Chels, the accountant. Uh, so every time, every time you invest in it, it's like putting money into the bank. But when you have to have a tough conversation, you better make sure there's enough money in the bank for that withdrawal you're about to make, for the challenge you're about to make. So it's, uh, it's this whole, so those two tie in really well together. Hey, so what, if we're intentionally looking for friendships... What do, what do we need to have in terms of friendships in our life? Like, what does a what does a right friendship look like? What does a right conglomerate, if you like, of friends in our world look like? What does that look like, Ben? Yeah. So I I've, I draw this diagram quite often when I'm talking with the students about this. Um, there are people in life who are high input. We receive a lot from them, and there's people who are low input. There's people who are high output in what we give out to people, and there's people who's low output. 
Low output, low input is looks like acquaintances, which we would all have hundreds of those. In the society we live, there's people every day who we have those shallow conversations with, but that's it. I don't think you have to look for that, but the other categories, like high output, high input, um, people you give a lot more to, people you receive a lot more from, that requires intentionality. Um, I know for me, like, insecurity really held me back from having those high output, high input relationships because I was always worried about what if they're just humouring me? What if they don't actually like hanging out with me? What if I'm just like their charity case? And I actually had to, <laughs> just being real, I had to push myself past that because I, like, I need someone who I have to, I have to be transparent yep. and vulnerable and honest with them. Um, if there's no transparent... Uh, there's a book by Angela Duckworth who's this uh, really in intellectual social psychologist and she says the missing ingredient for a lot of our generation today is grit. Passion and perseverance over the time. If I don't have people in my world who require me to be passionate and persevere in a relationship, then I'm missing out on being a fully-fledged human being. Yeah. Awesome. I think for Josh and I, something that we're learning in our new season of marriage is that, yes, it's so important for us to have our own friends and people that we've known for a long time, but now actually having friends who are in a similar season of life to us. So yep. having people who are newly married or, you know, have been married for a couple of years who are in that same stage of life as us and can input into us, but also just get where we're at. And we've been pretty intentional with not only trying to find people who have been married for a while who can actually invest into us, but doing life with newly married couples where we're all in the same stage, um, but we also just have fun with each other. You know, we don't have kids yet, so we can just, you know, stay up late and just go out and do things and enjoy that time of your life. And I encourage you that, like, actually, if you're not having fun with your friends, um, that's such a big part of friendship is making memories, having fun, just loving life because we have an awesome life to live. Um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I think um, I had a revelation a few a few years ago where Jesus said it's, it's not good to be unequally yoked and we can quickly go down Christian, non-Christian route. But then Jesus also said some will produce 30, some will produce 60 and some will produce 100 fold. And I think in every area of life, the right people in your inner circle are the people who are equally yoked in terms of what they're committed to to do with their life. When you're out working call, you can tell a hundredfold person. They are basically, God, the answer is yes, whatever you ask. I don't care what the question is. Everything, everything is on the table and I'll obey you no matter what the cost. And then you look at 30-fold people and this doesn't, it's not right or wrong. It's not better than. Then you look at 30-fold people and they're like, God, okay, I, I'm a Christian and I'll go to church on Sundays, but I'm still on the journey of giving you everything. Maybe my, my, my career is off limits. Maybe some of my relationships are off limits. Maybe my finances are off limits. But God, I'm not fully there. And I, I say this to younger people or single people all the time. If you're looking for a life partner, and it actually applies to friendships as well. If you're looking for a life partner and you're a hundredfolder, you will unequally yoke yourself if you connect with a 30-folder. Because I've never seen a 30-folder become a hundredfolder because they connect with a hundredfolder. In business, I've never seen a 30-folder. If your goal to go into business is to create a legacy for generations and impact people through your work environment, but someone else is there just to make a dollar, neither of those are wrong, but I've never seen that end well when there are different measurings there. So I want to encourage the right people in your world are the ones that will spur you on to fulfill everything God has called you to do. Not bring questions like, oh, you don't really want to do that. 
you don't want to give up another night to lead a connect group. You don't, you don't really want to employ that person because you think God's asking you to. There's a better, like, surround yourself with people that validate and encourage you in your obedience journey when it comes to outworking the call of God on your life. So, Jeremy, I want to ask you one last, one last question and then we'll finish up with, with one for everyone. You run a full-time, you've got a full-time job in international shipping. That's your paid work. You've got a full-time job at church. That's your work for love. Uh, you've got a wife of 12 years. You've got a 5 and a 10-year-old. You've got your own social circle. You've got leaders that you're trying to bring through for kids' ministry. Like Every one of our lives is relationally diverse. That The more the society develops, the more diverse life gets. I mean, you look at Chelsea. Chelsea's got... Uh, two decades plus of building a friendship circle. Now she's got this guy who she's building life with. So we've got her friends and his friends and our friends and all that. She's in youth and accounts. So there's all that. Ben, who's 32 years old and single and doing that extremely, extremely well. You look at someone like a Ben, he's not putting his life on hold waiting for Mrs. Wright to come. He's concentrating on being Mr. Wright and just doing life. Has a great relational world. Uh, Him and his brother, uh, from what I see, almost best mates and do that. One of the closest sibling relationship I've seen that is amazing. They have combined friends, plus he's got his own friends, plus he's got 20-something students that he's basically fathering on a day-to-day basis. So world is complicated, right? So out of all that, how do I I build friendships without looking like I'm excluding others? How do I... How do I make sure all that is flourishing? Jeremy, in your world, how does that work? We've had to learn to become really intentional. Yep. Um, intentionality is just so key. It's, it's not about, like you're, what you're saying, it's not about flicking someone a text and they go, oh, you've caught up with them. You have to be intentional and you've got to schedule, you've got to make use of calendars, you've got to make use of the fact that people need to, it doesn't matter whether you offend people because if you say, I actually need Crystal and I just to hang out, if you've scheduled something else, because if you need that, you need that. Because you can't give out of what you don't have. So if you're giving out all the time, like the withdrawal thing, you're constantly churning out through your bank accounts, then you're going to be done. So for us, it's it's actually about Chris and I actually looking at the week and planning out, going, well, I've got Connect Group this night, and then we've got a leader catch-up this night, and that... But looking at the calendar, so from a practical perspective, you just got to plan, and you've got to be intentional. Great. Great. Probably as easy and as complicated... As that, it's really easy to sit in a Sunday morning and say that. It takes a lot of discipline to outwork yeah. that. Uh, let me finish this one last question. The reason we can have human interaction is because we have a God who hardwired us to have a relationship with Him. And a fully alive human being is someone whose foundation is a relationship with the God who created them. I mean, the The story of the Bible isn't a story of rules. The story of the Bible is a love story of a God who is chasing down humanity's heart, wanting to interact and wanting to engage and wanting to connect with every human soul, not at a mass level, but an individual level. And just like any other relationship, if our relationship with God is relegated to an hour and five minutes on a Sunday morning, it's going to be pretty anemic. Um, You guys all have full worlds and... As people who are involved in church life, it's probably easy to placate the need of a relationship with God through these church experiences that we have. But nothing can replace a heart-to-heart connection with a Father who loves you. 
So for each one of you, how do you keep that alive and fresh? How do you, in the midst of everything you carry, in the midst of, we may have staff roles, but we're no different than anyone else in church. We're all humans who are in desperate need of a relationship with God. And how do you cultivate that and grow that and continue to keep that as alive and life-giving, not on life support going Sunday to Sunday with a little message here and there? How does that work in your world? Maybe... Chelsea, start first. How's that work for you? I think for me, what I've learned in my journey with God is that it's about having constant communication with Him. Yes, there's the times where you sit down with God and you read your Bible and you have that real intentional moment, but that doesn't then mean that you don't talk to Him for the rest of the day. And so for me, it's just constantly talking with God, talking through my life, talking through what's going on, what's going well, what's not going well, just like how you would with a friend. You debrief and talk through things. I do that with God because for me, even though I know God already knows all these things about me, it's still so important to actually talk them through. And that's what keeps it fresh for me is that it's that daily conversation with Him. Yeah, you know, back to that social media analogy, like God's not just watching from a distance and just seeing what kind of images we put up when we're behaving ourselves. Like he knows us inside and out. Um, And so similar to what Chell said, um, I need him in every part of me, in every part of my life. Um, He teaches me how to love. He teaches me how to see the best in people. He teaches me to make wise decisions and to bring the best out. Um, I just, it's bringing him into every moment. I so often throughout a day and just setting up a quick prayer like, God, I need you. I, I, I can't do this without you. I know I am by myself, so I need to invite him into every part of my life. I love podcasts and I love learning more about my God through other people's experiences. So I find that when I'm in the car and that kind of stuff, I am spending time listening to other people's podcasts and listening to other speakers and that kind of stuff that necessarily don't come to New Zealand, but gives me a perspective that maybe I could not have got from someone, couldn't have got myself. But it gives me all these conversations that then start happening where I can go to my God on my go to God on my worst or at my best and go, this is not working, this is great. But at the moment, with getting a revelation of someone else sort of telling me more about what their experience with God is, I then go, wow, I never realised that. Like just sometimes, and then the Holy Spirit starts, you know, um, dropping these little things, and I go, oh, actually, yeah. And it's just learning more about this God that you know I know Crystal really well. I'm not, she's not necessarily going to spring a revelation on me. But there's so much more I've got to learn about God yeah. and just that daily interaction with him and getting his, getting other people's perspective on who he is sometimes allows our revelations just to drop in. Yeah, awesome. You know, the Bible says this, that the only reason we can love God is because he first loved us. And some of the greatest, in fact, all of the greatest relationships that I have in my world I build on this mutual understanding if we have a love for each other. Like, I love you and I'm committed to you. But when you come to God, the fact that He loves you creates this environment of trust. And I've discovered the more that I interact with God's love, the more I crave relationship with Him. The more I engage with His acceptance, the more I crave acceptance from Him. And Like every one of these amazing people have just said, a relationship with God only happens out of intentional interaction with a God who loves you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.